You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the No Low Ballers podcast. I'm Logan Medish of High Caliber History, your host. I'm joined around the table by folks from Go Wild and Gunbroker.com. And today's topic is quite alliterative. We're talking about famous firearm flops. Say that five times fast. It's too early. Okay, yeah, it is too early. It's, what, only about 9 a.m. There's not enough coffee. So, yeah, uh, famous firearm flops, things that had huge marketing efforts put around them, uh, or if not a huge marketing effort, at least something that was really interesting and, and had the potential to change the industry, and just didn't. Yeah. Just it seemed did. like a good idea at the time. So did communism. <laughs> hey, on paper. On yeah, paper. Looks on great paper. scrawled on a barroom napkin, you know, when you wake up the next morning, you're like, what's that? What did I mean? Yeah, like, what is this anyway? <laughs> so, Including one that was fueled by rocket power. Yes, we have rocket power, which is kind of what we need today because it's early and we're, we're trying to get going. So, But but we'll start earlier than that with, with firearm flops. Um, and it's one that you might not, expect uh, because it comes from a big name that was doing a lot in the 19th century a lot of innovative stuff um, we're talking about Colt and you know I've heard of them you've heard of them, heard of yeah, them yeah yeah little little company up in Connecticut um, they made a little bit little bit of a splash but you know they're, they're an up-and-comer you know keep an eye on them yeah keep an eye on them it's a bit of a sleeper on Gunbroker <laughs> right now you can pick yeah. them up you know for, for a decent price uh, no but you know so Colt you know he he gives us you can't see the first revolver because it wasn't, but but the first commercially viable revolver, and then of course later on after Sam is dead, you know we've got the single action army and the 1911 and all these stuff. You know Colt's got big name stuff that comes out, but one of the things that that, that comes out during Sam's lifetime that flops is a revolving rifle, uh, and it's the model 1855, and the concept is neat and and you actually see them today i think is it heritage the, heritage the heritage yep, the yeah carbine rancher yeah yep, okay yep. yep and but you can find those on gumber i don't know if you can find a 55 revolving rifle maybe they pop up every now and I, then i didn't see one in my search i took a quick look the other day and i did not see one pop which didn't shock me terribly sure yeah but the concept behind it is you know it, it's taking the revolver that sam colt had had come up with um, the the black powder uh, muzzle-loading percussion revolver, and taking it into a long gun uh, package, if you will, um, and so it's it's an interesting concept. You know, again, if 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 it works, it's it's a big plus, right? And and Sam was was taking a gamble, you know, because in 1855, all of your long arms that are viable are muzzleloaders, mm-hmm. and they're single shot muzzle loaders and so if you can get something with a revolving cylinder giving you multiple shots out of that that's that's a big damn deal right mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. whether whether it's going to be in a in a pistol caliber or not which it was because that was part of your limitations with them but uh it, it had huge potential and and it just had a failure to launch 
um, which is a little disappointing. <laughs> so what do you think contributed to that failure? Uh, design flaws, really. Um, and and some of them, some of the design flaws are inherent to the gun, and other design flaws are uh, because it was a product of its time. Yeah. Um, if, case, if cased ammunition had existed at that point, it would have had a better chance. I'm still not sure it would have succeeded. Right. But it would have had a better chance. Um, having Having the powder and the primer contained... Would have been a big deal. One of the biggest problems with black powder and, and tamping it in, you le- if you leave a little residue in the barrel and you fire off cylinder one and a little spark gets in cylinder two. Chain fire. Now you've got, mm-hmm. and one's going down a barrel, one's going into the frame, one's yeah. going out the side. So yeah. um, the, the fact that cased ammunition didn't exist yet was a, a big problem, yeah. but not the only problem. Beyond that, you have the manufacturing limitations in the 1850s. As you can imagine, that's a complex design. I mean, the revolvers themselves, as Sam was doing, he had that kind of down pat. But when you have to scale up quite literally the size of that gun and, and add that to your line, it's it just the gun became so much more complex and it became a whole different monster. Um, it, it was not just as easy as, as adding, uh, you know, pointing an, an expansion ray at it and scaling up a 51 Navy and putting a shoulder stock on it. You know, the, the manufacturing was, was different and they were fragile, quite frankly, you know, the, the guns were not the most sturdy built pieces of equipment out there and they're kind of cumbersome, you know, and, and damn, if they don't look weird and let's, let's just be honest, people tend to be hesitant to buy new things if they look yeah. too weird. Not me. You know? No. Yeah. <laughs> Weirder the better. <laughs> Weirder the better. I yeah. Heard, I heard somebody once explain it as the shao shao of its time because since the magazine essentially is open with the revolver and rifles typically, you know, riding scabbards, they get a little more a little more beat up, a little more uh, dirty than, say, your revolver does encased in a proper holster. So now you've also got all kinds of crud going into the chambers, so mm-hmm. you have potential plug fires or just moisture getting in, so you have misfires. Um Dirt and mag- magazines just don't get along well. Right. Yeah, and you were, you know, if your stock cracks, now you've just got essentially a, a, a very early pre-bunt line, bunt line. You've got a, a pistol with a gigantic, you know, carbine length barrel on it and no no stock to fire it from. So it just, it was one of those, it's it's a great idea on paper, and but it was just too early for its time. You know, the ammunition technology wasn't there. The manufacturing technology wasn't there. But now, you know, 170 years later, Heritage is is doing them with theirs, and and I think those do fairly well. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and that's the oddity. Now they look kind of cool. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. They do kind of look kind of cool. Um, I don't have one. Do you have one, Dave? I don't. But I want to throw out one of the complaints that people have about this design is. They don't know how to fire it. You, you come up, right? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Your support hand, there's a little hook on the Heritage, and I believe there's one on the other one we're talking about. You actually have to hold it like this. Ah, uh, you got to You got to get powder berms it. inside your arms. Exactly. Right. That's not natural sure. with a carbine. So sure. those those ergonomics have thrown people off, and they're just like, Taurus Circuit Judge, no thanks. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, and that's you know that ties into Alan's point of bringing up if you get a chain fire, if you've got your hand forward, mm-hmm. now you're risking shooting yourself in the hand. At least, with, at least shrapnel. Uh, yeah, you're, you're yeah. going to catch something going down range in your hand, and then of course you've got the barrel heating up that you, you know your hands in there. So yeah, it just that's that's a great point that, yeah. that I didn't even think about was the ergonomics of it. Just just no bueno, just no bueno. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so we can then move. Uh, it, we'll move about a hundred years or so into into the future, a little little further than a hundred years into the future, um, and we'll talk about something that was really cool. I thought um, and fit perfectly for the time period in which it was created. Yeah. You know, the 1960s. We've got the space race going on. Uh, astronauts are cool. Rockets are cool. Tang is cool. Ta- Powdered orange Tang juice. Tang is always cool. Yeah, it's oh, not cool different. anymore. Tang. Oh, never mind. Sorry, I <laughs> got distracted. Different podcast. There's no couch here. So, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, I'm not the first one to make that mention. Brad did it in a, a different episode. Anyway, um, no, that Tang is cool. I haven't had Tang in a long time. That That is a good orange drink. But anyway, wow, we are way off topic. Um, <laughs> space race, rockets, rocket fuel, um, jets, gyro jets, uh, which are a really interesting firearms concept that came out in the 60s. Who wants to tell us about gyro jets? I mean, at the end of the day, it's a rocket gun. You know? <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the cartridge itself was a self-contained little block of solid rocket fuel that had little directional holes cut in the side, just like a spacecraft needs little bursts of gas to steer it. The gyrojet, that was its propulsion system. It would, sh- it would pr- project it down the barrel. It would also add stabilizing spin to it. Super cool concept, super complex um, cartridge, super complex ignition system. Um, and frankly, the, the gun didn't look space age enough, to be fair. It kind of looked mm. a little industrial, but... Um, Really cool museum pieces. Mm-hmm. Cool to think about, but uh, I think, again, it was a, a product of just too early for its times. I yeah. just don't know if the manufacturing... Because you have to think about those little directional jets have got to be drilled into your cartridge case perfectly because that's where your accuracy is coming from. If they're mm-hmm. even just the tiniest you know, mill radian off, it's going to impact your spin. You're going to now get wobble, and you're going to be all over the place accuracy-wise, which is basically what we saw happen. And we saw with a lot of early rockets that went up yeah. and went spirally and came down and didn't do what they were supposed to do. Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. I mean, by far the best name for a, a handgun ever. It's, I mean, it's up there. It it's is. It's definitely up there. It's pretty good. It is pretty good. And and you're right, Alan, to your point about the ammo. I'm, I'm actually fortunate. I've, I've got a couple of the rounds. Um, and they've got – they had different – types of of, uh, holes in the bottom. So you see one of them's got two holes, one of them's got four holes. And so uh, you you had uh, different idea concepts behind how they were going to get things to stabilize. Um, But to me, one of the most interesting parts about this gun is is actually how it fires. Um, It's a hammer-fired design, but it's backwards. The hammer is actually in front of the nose of the cartridge and so the hammer comes up and smacks the nose and drives it back into the firing pin and then as it takes off out of the barrel it pushes the hammer down to reset it Hmm. but what that means uh, is that it's got kind of a slow burn as it's coming out so it is not reaching its maximum velocity till it's downrange a bit of a ways well as we talked about on the muzzleloader episode that um, you know that now that lock time that long lock time between hammer and fire that's that's an accuracy killer sure but interesting story i understand the space shuttle fired the same way the big hammer just dropped it down and yeah absolutely that's exactly how they did it and early (laughs) on did you know they actually had a guy sitting up top there on the tower with a ball peen hammer he just wham on top of (laughs) on top of apollo 11 and that's that's what set it off into space yeah so there's no expansion in this bullet. No. It's just 
Straight it is what rocket. it is. Yep, yeah. it is straight up rocket, and there's no um, there there's no need for any kind of an ejection port or anything on the gun because Can everything think? is going down the barrel. This solid piece. It is a reloader's nightmare because mm -hmm. there's nothing to reload. You know, you're not getting anything back. There's no picking up brass on the range with one of these. So, what was their original intent for use? Was this a military option? You know, do you really need a, a practical <laughs> I don't, use? I don't need a practical and, reason to yeah, launch I, little I, mini rockets. I, I don't know if the hope was to get government sales or if it was just they were doing something cool for the sake of doing something cool. I I really don't know. I couldn't uh, I couldn't tell you for sure. I think at some point someone went, hey, I, I've got an idea of how to make a rocket-powered handgun. And everyone around the table went... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, and you know, and actually, can you think of the marketing genius? If if it had worked, if you c could have put one in the hands of like Neil Armstrong or Buzz Aldrin, like you know, and, like, one small step. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would have been awesome. That would have been marketing gold if the gun had had really taken off. But but they didn't, um, and. Uh, they, they just, yeah, they were really cool. They were used in James Bond. You know, there was a carbine version in addition to the handgun version. Um, and so one of those was used in one of the James Bond films. I can't remember which off the top of my head. Um, but uh, but they, they do look cool. But, yeah, they're not quite as space agey as maybe they could look. Um, personally, I think a, a more cool space agey piece that actually predated this was the Dardic. Mm. Uh, that fired the, the triangles. Yeah. yeah, and those mm -hmm. those are neat. And I thought that looks more space agey uh, than that, but you know, it, it is what it is. So time marches on. We move on, uh, and well, time marches in all sorts of different directions. So let's before we we get to that one, let's let's actually jump back a little bit and talk about something a little earlier again. The Remington R51, and and no, initially we're we're not talking about the the gun from like 2014. Yeah, I mean, because we are talking about famous firearm flops, um, and, and we'll get to that. But <laughs> but, uh, but but let's talk about a, a famous firearm success because mm -hmm. the the R51 actually was originally a really cool gun, a really cool design, and in its day, it did pretty well. Yeah. I mean, it was basically Remington's answer to the Walther PPK. It was a fixed barrel um, used, you know, we, we always hear about the Peterson device from, uh, you know, the M1 and M2 carbine area. Yep, but from John Patterson. Yep, yep. yep. So it's the same um, kind of, uh, same gem, but with the recoil spring around the barrel. Um, it, it was a really smart design. The, the breech block was in the slide as opposed to the frame like usual. So the original R51 was a pretty, pretty successful little uh, kind of pocket pistol. It's a 380 originally, right? I believe so, yep. yeah, yeah. Which, you know, not, in its day, not an anemic cartridge, you know, was, was definitely a solid self-defense choice, uh, you know, in the post-World War One era. Um, and, I mean, John Pedersen was, was a great designer. I mean, you know, the, the World War One Pedersen device uh, was, was a great thing. It was a really cool design. Unfortunately, you know, we didn't end up needing it because there was yeah. no spring 1919 offensive in, in World War One. Um, but he was a great designer. He, he had a great career. And actually, at one point, uh, later in John Moses Browning's life, Browning actually hailed Pedersen as the greatest firearms designer of our time. Mm. That's high praise coming yeah. from St. Browning, you know. Um, so it's there. There was potential, you know, and, and which unfortunately cost us the chance to have history's greatest rap battle ever. But <laughs> <laughs> that would be 
hilarious. Oh, my God. Great. Who, but who do you think would win? I mean, Browning was a man of few words, but I don't know uh, Patterson well enough. But you know, well, maybe maybe John Browning would spit mad fat rhymes. <laughs> like mad you never fat. know. Like that's maybe that was his secret thing. He Could would sit been. out in the workshop at night, tinkering on stuff, just laying them out there, man. So <laughs> I, I don't know. Who knows? But well, they would have saved all the swear words though for the modern iteration of the R50. Oh God, so. all the swear words for the modern iteration. <laughs> so you know, my background Browning would have passed on the swear words. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm from that country. Trust me. No. And, and he would have passed on the more modern r51 too he would have been like Pedersen did not design that one you know the r51 is just such a dichotomy because you know from my perspective i'm from the 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 pr marketing background side it was a fantastic product launch Mm -hmm. i mean remington went all out um i know my colleagues and i would watch this launch and we're like oh man we, we steal our little bits and pieces to use in our launches going forward it was really well done big event all the right writers had it it was a fantastic launch one tiny little problem the gun kind of sucked so you know that that's you're being very kind <laughs> to that gun <laughs> okay maybe not kind of <laughs> no it straight yeah. up did suck yeah. you know the the hand-picked examples that the writers had worked which, which it, i i you know do you want to clarify that it, it does happen there sure are, there are companies that will if, if a writer's getting a product sample they will pull one off the line they'll give it a cleaning they'll go through it they make sure it works um and people kind of figure out what companies do that the the really reputable ones the ones that i've always enjoyed working with are they put an order in the system and whatever gun comes off the line that one's going to cabela's that one's going to nick's gun shop that one's going to a writer it right. doesn't matter and that's how it should product. be exactly really because i think that gives the the audience and the readers an actual representation of what the product is going to be like yep well so. and and not only that but uh, those are some of the the most uh, authentic and enjoyable reviews that I see, where it's like, hey, we got this gun in, and it totally tanked. And so we contacted their customer service, and we sent it back, and they worked on it, and we got back, and now it's flawless. Like, that, that's cool. I yeah. actually enjoy reading a review like that, because then you know damn well that they didn't get something that was cherry-picked. They had a problem, just like you and I could have had a problem with it. It also tells know? me that the company is going to back it up. It tells me the company's got good customer service. It tells me that they're willing to learn and listen. So, yeah, I, yeah. I agree. I, li- I like, for, from a just a consumer standpoint, I like to see those as well. Yeah. As the PR guy, I, I want everything to work great out of the gate and be the most fantastic experience they've ever had, but you know, yeah. life is life sometimes. It doesn't so. always go that way. And Yeah, and we're, we're, in this case, every consumer, it seemed like every consumer at least, who picked up a Model 51 had... And, and it was a variety of problems. Oh, yeah, yeah. It wasn't just one issue. The gun just had a bunch of little issues. And I think that's part of the problem of taking a tried-and-true older firearm design and you don't just bring it back, but you try to modernize it and make it better. And, you know, sometimes newer isn't always better. And, and that's what they found out with that R51. But you, know, you talk about they had that amazing marketing genius for the launch. They did an amazing marketing disappear on it, too, because, I you know, I went to the Great American Outdoor Show in February of that year, and that was their entire booth. It was huge. It was R51. That's all their guys wanted to talk about. And, you know, and, hey, it was cool. I was sold on it. But then, you know, two, three months later, I go to the NRA show and like all of it's gone and like none of it like it like the men in black they, they just zapped it none of the none of the guys would even talk to me about I'm sorry, it r51 oh yeah that's the error code when your car's low on refrigerant yeah in yeah the air conditioning system you know yeah. or they're like oh yeah that was the gun that john Pedersen designed back in 1918 i'm like no nah, dude the one from last week you know and they, they just wouldn't engage yeah. so they you know 
So I'm assuming you can get a killer deal on one of those if you find one on Gunbroker. That's a great point. Yes and no. So if you're looking for the original, they're not listed often. Uh, Really rare. I've seen a couple going, you know, going back into the archives a little bit. Still looking around for about 600 bucks, which, you know, for uh, early 20th century pocket 380s, not terrible. No. Um, you know, magazines, of course, are the, the sticking point. They're really hard to find. And that's always, mm-hmm. as, as a, one instructor I know calls a, a semi-auto a bottom feeder, because that's where 90% of your function problems are in a magazine. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want one of the new versions, first of all, why? Some people are some people are gluttons for punch, and some people might live in really windy areas, and they need lots of paperweights. I'm just imagining like the the baseball card world, the cards that had the air on there. (laughs) Those are the more valuable ones. This was the Billy Ripken one with the writing on the grip of the bat. Okay, that's what this. uh, You can get the new ones. They're listed for 300. I say that because they're not selling for 300. They're not selling, so I can't really tell you what the yeah. the valuation would be. But you know, they're listing for three and kind of sitting. So and we weren't smart enough to look up what the original MSRP was before the oh, show because point. it would be interesting to know. It's definitely less, definitely more than what they're listing for right now. Yeah. So if, listen, if you want a piece of of firearms history. I mean, you can get into it. And someday we're going to look back on this. I mean, we're already kind of starting to as, as a bit of historical piece. I mean, probably not the one that the Remington of that day would like us to, to think of it as. <laughs> but you know, if, if you do want something that stands out that is a good conversation piece that, you know, you mm-hmm. want to you know, take to the range and have it not work and get to tell everyone the story of it, fantastic. You can get into them pretty, pretty inexpensively. Because yeah. the new ones are now, what, 9mm? I believe so, yeah, yeah. Which was another one of the problems, upsizing from a 380 to a 9 mil. Even though you're only going up one millimeter in case size, just that particular jump. It's never one millimeter. No. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's so re- much more than that. It is insane the difference that has to go into ma- to designing and manufacturing a 380 versus a 9 millimeter. You wouldn't think so, but there, there's just something about that particular window mm-hmm. um, where it just takes that one little tick. It's a tipping point for so many things from pressure, from dimensions, from stresses. From it, 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 It's really hard just to upsize those. But you're right from the historic standpoint. It is going to be really neat, and especially because that's how I, you know, that's how I make my living is looking at things from the historic standpoint. And you know, it won't be long before it will be very cool to to take a Pedersen R51 and a failed R51 and and doing a compare and contrast and talking about them and, and looking at the historic aspects of both at that point. We still remember the Studebagger. We still remember the Edsel. We still remember you know all the the cars that were great for being junk. Mm-hmm. You know, so someday, you know, I think the the R fifty one will kind of be in that spot. So I guess what I'm saying is, now's the time to get your collector's item, get your historical right. yeah. item. If, yeah. if you want, if you want that safe queen that you're never going to shoot, I would recommend an R fifty one. Well, but, but you know, see, that, that's that's not really fair to call it a safe queen because a safe queen's a gun that you choose not to shoot. It's not that the gun chooses not to shoot. You know, and so that'd be more a safe princess then. Uh, there you okay. go. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, we'll we'll jump really quickly, uh, and and we'll talk about a little bit of uh, Kraut Space Magic, the HKG11, which is uh, a very interesting firearm with caseless ammunition. I so wish that one had been a success because that was the yeah. again on paper such a cool idea. Yeah, it it really was, and but caseless ammo is something that has plagued arms manufacturers for 150 plus years. Well, um, I thought the muzzleloader did 
the musket did pretty well for caseless ammunition, but well, but but to, I think to call a muzzleloader I caseless know, yeah. ammunition that that's yeah. a little bit cheating. You know, we've it, the idea for true caseless ammunition is that your powder and everything is actually attached to your projectile, which of course is not the case with a muzzleloader. Right. But but that was something that had been tried for a long time. I mean, the uh, potential benefits are huge. The, some of the most complex design of a semi-automatic firearm is the extraction of the, and the reloading. Mm. You take the extraction part out of it, so you no longer have to grab now the hot, expanded, sticky case and pull out and throw away, and you just have to feed in from a magazine. And most right. most of our firearms failures, yeah, well, you get failed to feeds, but most, at least in my experience, are almost always failed to extracts. Mm-hmm. Stovepipes or short-stroking or whatever, and you take all of that out of the equation, you're bringing down the complexity, you're bringing down the cost, well, theoretically. <laughs> um, okay, for the gun, the ammo. You know, it's, like right. the, it's like the Keurig. <laughs> sure. <laughs> we'll give you yeah. the gun, but you got to buy the ammo. And cost, you're right. That was one of the things. It was the manufacturing complexity and the cost, and it just it just ahead of its time. We've talked a lot uh, in this episode about things being ahead of its time, um, and and that was certainly one of those instances. Um, but but because it had a failure to launch, a G11 is not something that you're going to find on GunBroker.com. Yeah. Um, but you can find examples of caseless ammunition on there. In fact, mm-hmm. like I've seen like the Daisy VL rounds. Mm-hmm. Um, you can you can buy some of those in there from the Daisy BB Company's one and only real firearm that was only in production for a short period of time that they had to quit making because they didn't have a firearms license. Um, that's a whole other interesting <laughs> story. Now that is um, a, a failure that is a extreme collector's piece i'm assuming if you get your hands on one of those they're cool man they're really cool um but uh but yeah the ammo pops up a lot more frequently than the guns um i've got some of the ammo uh at home i I do not own one of the guns but it's a whole cool story there in that uh in that piece but yeah caseless ammo it is something that is still baffling the arms world to this day we have yet to figure out how to perfect it you know today is not that day tomorrow doesn't look good either no you know? but for you one, one caseless ammo you can find though on gun brokers the gyro jet yes i was mm-hmm. actually stunned i took a quick look um we've got multiple listings for them mm-hmm. surprisingly affordable three to four thousand dollars which for the history and you know something as as cache as a gyro jet i yeah. i thought that was a really good price yeah and about half the listings come with ammo I would not recommend trying to fire it, but it does come with it. Well, I, I will tell you, you know, about half of the listings come with ammo, and about half of the ammo actually fires. <laughs> uh, I can tell you that from personal experience. Um, I've had the opportunity to pull the trigger, and, uh, you know, it, the, the it just degrades over time, and they've got about a, a 50-50 shot of it actually going off. Does it sound um, different when it's fired? <sighs> yes, it does, um, and I, I really can't describe it it doesn't have quite that same crack it's because there's a whole different kind of ignition thing and you know they they do sound different when they work and opposed to the sonic crack coming right at the muzzle because it's getting up to speed the sonic (laughs) booms a little further down right yeah and they're cool you can actually watch if you look at them from the back because it's that rocket fuel you can actually see the the flame coming out the back as they're spinning somebody please bring them back (laughs) yeah please (laughs) yes yeah, they're they're really cool, but but they just uh, they they just failed to take off. You know, they they just were a flop, um, which is something that this episode is not. It is not a flop. This has been a lot of fun talking about famous firearm flops 
around the table with you guys uh, and, and with you guys at home listening. We appreciate everyone tuning in to the show. Um, if you're not subscribed to the show on your favorite platform, please do that. Leave us a review, some likes, some comments. Uh, talk to us about the stuff. You know, uh, There are other flops out there. Let us know what your favorite firearm flop is that we didn't cover. Um, because we'd, we'd love to hear about it, and, and who knows, maybe it'll find its way into into the next episode. But we're not customer service. We can't fix it. Just tell us about it. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a very important <laughs> distinction to make. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks for tuning into this episode of the No Low Ballers podcast. We will see you right here on the next episode. Yeah.